Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. And Pete, we are, it's, it is literally deadline day right now as we are recording for Keeper Decisions for one of our listener leagues, the Head to Head Listener League. Uh, by the time everyone hears this, which will be, I guess, a week from now, right? We're recording on Monday the 15th. This episode comes out on Monday the 22nd. So everyone will, th- this will all be public information by the time we we actually post this but still I, i'm still wrestling with some final decisions i don't know about you are you like you like locked and loaded ready to go honestly i thought the deadline already passed i am uh i'm good i'm good on <laughs> uh on that for sure are you, so you're, you're you're not trading me volpe huh uh no i don't think so i i like throwing him out there just because you know yankee shortstop buzz you know and he's he's worth such a late round pick i thought i could get somebody to really pay up but the offers have just been like eh, fine yeah well we talk a little bit about that we have some trades that we both made what we're going to do today is talk through how we make keeper decisions how we value keepers how we value draft picks things like that and then we'll we'll sort of talk through who we kept why we kept them uh, maybe poke around it at the, the Roto Listener League as well, because there's been some trades going on there. But first, this is episode 124. And I I mean, I sort of, I don't know. It's like I, the one hand, I look at 24. As soon as I hear 24, I'm like, oh, Willie Mays. And then I was like, wait, that's also Ricky's number. And <laughs> it's like, these are two inner circle best to ever play the game kind of guys and that's before we get to Ken Griffey Jr., who is, I guess, the third most associated with this number, at least for me. Uh, he's not quite at the tier of those guys, but obviously a, a great player, clear-cut Hall of Famer. Barry Bonds wore 24 until he got to San Francisco, where he theoretically couldn't because of Willie Mays. But Mays actually gave him permission to wear 24. He just declined. So Bonds is associated with 25 in part because it was his dad's number and in part because his his godfather said you could wear this. And he was like, no, Willie, this is your number. But uh, yeah, I, and then, I mean, for, for you and I both formative years watching Manny Ramirez wear 24 for our, our respective teams. That's where it is. Everybody around here, I can tell you, they think of Manny Ramirez. Um, I mean, it goes without saying, but like, I, I'm not a numbers guy. That's part of the reason why I like doing this so much every episode, because it's like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, Willie Mays was number 24, but there are some numbers that stick out 24 and 34. Those will, those go down, went down in infamy here. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of crazy. Like 24 in particular, like you look at this and you like, you can make a case that like, or like. I don't know. There's so many teams that have had like a truly great 24, like Bonds in both Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, Mays with San Francisco and New York because he was in both places. Ricky Henderson with the 73 different teams Ricky Henderson played for. Griffey with Seattle, Manny with both Cleveland and Boston. For the Yankees, Robinson Cano wore 24 for a long time and was, was a great player for them. Miguel Cabrera wore 24 for... I think all of his career. Yeah. 20 years. Mm-hmm. Miguel Cabrera has won 20. I mean, like there's just, there's just a bunch of dudes who, who wore 24 for, for a lot of years. And it's a pretty impressive number, but I, I'm willing to give this one to Manny over <laughs> Ricky and Willie and Griffey. But, uh, that's just uh, you know, personal memories for, for, for me and for you. I'll say like my, uh, 
my username on lots of things is my initials, the numbers nine and 24. And nine was for Carlos Baerga. 24 was Manny Ramirez. Everyone <laughs> thinks it's my birthday. Oh, September 24. Nope. It's not my birthday. It's those two guys. So yeah, I- I'm happy to give it to Manny. <laughs> I'm in. Manny it is. All right. Well, having declared this the Manny Ramirez episode, let's get into talking about keepers. And we talk a lot about how to value keepers in auto new. And that works for basically any auction league. And it's a pretty straightforward thing. How much does this player cost? How much would I pay for this player at auction? Done. It gets a little more complex in drafts. And we have our two fan tracks keeper or two fan tracks keeper leagues that we're doing with our listeners. One is Roto, one is head to head. It's League Two, which is the head to head league that's coming up for for decisions now. But it's a lot. It's just it's a more challenging process to figure out how to value keepers relative to each other. And I, I guess I'll put it to you first. Like, how do you do that? What, what's your process for being like? Oh, this is you know. Some of them are obvious, right? Like one of these leagues, I have like a 28th round Michael Harris. There's not a lot of thought that goes into that. He's really good. He's really cheap. Done. But when you get into those tough choices, where it's like, oh, do I want this guy or that guy? How do you differentiate? Yeah, it's a great question. <clears throat> Before we get too deep into it, I do want to give a shout out to Christian Wall because we are talking about Listener League number two. He was in the championship two years ago. He won the championship last year. So as we begin our discussions about this league, we should acknowledge the champion. Well done. Um, in terms of picking keepers, there's so many factors that go into it, right? And it it sounds like I'm like copping out again here, right? Right away with five minutes into the podcast, but it it really is a uh, circumstantial thing. So, for example, in my home league, you can keep whoever you want basically forever. But once they are worth a first round pick every single year, if you want to keep keeping them, you have to pay a first round pick. Now, the reality is it's a 16 team league. So people are willing to pay the first round pick more often than not to make sure they've got that like stud they can build around in some cases, two studs they can build around. Um, as they, you know, navigate the season and ultimately the draft in a keeper league that is nine keepers um, and it's only a 12 team league. I'm really looking at value, which obviously is what you should always be looking at. And it is a tough thing to measure. And, and we're going to get into how you took three different attempts at or, or stabs, bites at the apple at trying to figure out how to properly value keepers. But ultimately, I want those early picks. I want to be making picks early. And the difference between Listener League uh, 2 and my home league is that in Listener League 2, there's going to be elite players in the draft every single year because at some point you can't keep players. As much as I would love to keep Ronald Acuna Jr. in the other one, I can't because like Listener League 2 and Listener League 1, you can't keep them anymore. So I want to be picking early. I want to get a bite at the apple in that. And that's the second time I've used that uh, that phrase there um, before uh, you know the drop-off comes and the inflation really kicks in. So that's what I was looking at, Chad. My first pick won't be made until... Uh, or I'm sorry, my first keeper won't be taken until like the 12th round with O'Neill Cruz. So I clearly embrace the, the value there. Yeah, it's interesting. I also generally agree in this format and I'm more interested in value than I am in necessarily worrying about elite talent, but I'm using my first round pick to keep Mookie. Mm. And this was something that I've been thinking about all off season and influenced. We do sort of a, I guess it's sort of a KDS type thing for setting our draft order. It's based on last year's standings. And so for this, cause it's a head to head league, 
the team that finishes seventh in the regular season, right? So you're you're almost made the playoffs, but not quite, gets first choice of what pick they want. They don't get the first pick. They get first choice of what pick they want. I knew as we went through that process, I was going to have one of the last choices. I think I, I picked eighth or ninth or something. But my goal was to get ideally the 12th pick because what I wanted to do was take was to minimize the value of my first round pick and then keep Mookie with it. I ended up with the 10th pick, but you know, ADP wise, Mookie's been fifth off the board. I mean, I think, it, you know, there's Acuna and then there's like J-Rod and Witt in sort of that number two, three spot and then Carroll and then Betts. It's been those five. I think it looks like two and three. There's some, you know, a little debate, but those five are basically the five who come off the board first. Uh, and then there's a, a clump of guys, Tucker, Strider, Tatis, guys like that. For me, I was like, all right, if I can guarantee myself top five value while only giving up the 10th pick and then pick again, right? Because now I'm going to pick again at what, 15? So typically to get bets, you'd have to pick fifth and then what would that be, 19th or something like that, 20th, something like that. I, I'm going to pick early in the second round after already banking high first round value. Now that is, that only worked because Betts was a second round pick for me last year. And because of that, I'm able to keep him. That doesn't work, for example, with Acuna because Acuna was taken in the first round last year. So he can't be kept. Other guys like that, uh, Freddie Freeman was taken in the first round last year, so he can't be kept even though he theoretically could be worth a first round pick. Let's see, Kyle Tucker, Right. So like it's just you, you can't you can't keep them. So it was a unique situation. There are based on ADP, there are three first round picks I expect to be keepers in this league. Uh, sorry. Yeah, four, four first round picks I expect to be keepers in this league. One is what is Julio Rodriguez. He was a seventh. He was an eighth round pick last year. So he'll be a seventh round keeper, easy choice. Corbin Carroll, who last year was a, a 28th, no, he was a minors call up last year. So he was a 28th round keeper price. That's good value, just so everybody knows. That's really good value. <laughs> Spencer Strider was a 20, I, I guess he must have been a 28th round pick or a free agent or something two years ago. For so sure. 27th last year, now a 26th this year. Also good value. <laughs> also good value and will be for years. years. That's ridiculous. That is so uh, crazy. And then... And then Mookie was my my second round pick last year. So that's the four guys who will be held out of really out of the t- almost the top half of the first round. And so, you know, in this draft, if you're picking fourth, you might have expected like you look at you're like, oh, fourth pick is like Carroll or Betts. No, you're going to get maybe Kyle Tucker falls to you. But then it's like Tatis, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner. Like it's a it's a step down from what you expected to get at the top of this round. And then for me picking 10th, I like being able to just use that pick on bets and know that I'm locking that in was just great value. I'm super excited about that. And that sort of gets into this this how different ways of valuing these picks because the first thing I do when I start valuing these picks is I just look at ADP and at how many rounds I'm saving by keeping a guy. And so as an example here, um, Tanner Bybee, who I have on this team, is going to cost me a 28th round pick to keep. His ADP right now is 109. That makes him, uh, I have him listed as a 10th round value, but isn't that the 
would that be the ninth? No, it's the 10th round. That's the 10th round. It's the, it's, that is an early 10th round pick, basically. And so I am effectively saving 18 rounds by keeping Bybee. And, and that's sort of the first pass I took. And it's what I've done historically. And I was stopping this offseason. I was like, I don't think that's right. Because like that's going to tell me my, my savings on Mookie Betts is zero. I'm giving up a first round pick. I'm keeping a guy who's worth a first round pick. And so I started to look at two different ways of, of valuing keepers beyond this. And, and what I did was I used the Fangraphs auction calculator to create values based on our league settings, ranked all the players, and then assigned each pick a dollar value based on the player you would expect to get at that pick if you fully trust Steamer. Now that's you know how much you want to fully trust Steamer is up for debate, but what that basically tells me is like if I have the first overall pick, it is basically worth $60. It's worth $60 because that's what Acuna is worth. If I have the second overall pick, it is worth, let me see here, $42 because that's what Strider's worth and Steamer has him as the second most valuable player. Now, that is not the same as ADP. Obviously, Strider goes more like seventh by ADP, but still, it's sort of, it, it's a way of valuing the pick. And so I can like scroll down and be like, okay, the 166th pick is worth about $6.52, the 160. But that was 166. The 165th pick is worth $6.64. Like you get, you start to get a value for every individual pick. And you get individual, you get player value for individual players. So using bets as an example, this would actually, this method would actually tell me that bets is not worth keeping. And the reason is that Steamer has him as the 13th most expensive player, and I'm using up the 10th pick to keep him. So he is a $29.77 player and the 10th pick is a $32.52 value. So I found this to be pretty useful. I like looking at my my team, I mean, so using that method, you know, I mentioned Bybee before as being like an 18 round gain, but his projection is actually only about $3 more valuable than the pick I have to give up to keep him. Because his ADP is not actually aligned with his his value based on the projection. So then I was like, all right, well, what if I did this based on ADP, right? What if I went with market value for the player instead of projection-based value for the player? And so now this time what I did is I took their ADP and assigned a dollar value to that, right? So the same way I assigned a dollar value to a pick, if pick 160 is worth what did I say? Like five bucks, four bucks. If, if some pick is worth $4 and a, a player whose ADP is that gets an ADP value of $4, right? Just whatever their pick is. And, and so when I sort by that, now I get a very different thing where bets who I was saying like before showed up as not a value at all is a value based on this ADP method because I'm using the 10th pick for him, but he's he's valued by ADP as the, the fifth pick. My, my spreadsheet is being weird, which is making it hard for me to share this. But let's see. So his ADP value as the fifth pick is $34, 34, oh, $34.60, let's call it. And his the cost I have to give up to keep him is closer to $32. It's not a huge value, 
But it is interesting that that like $3 difference is the equivalent of the 79th pick versus the 105th pick, right? So moving up half a round in the first round is the equivalent of moving up like from the 10th to the 8th or something like that. Or that's even more than that. It's like the 10th to the 6th. So that's sort of what I'm, what I was trying to do was, was find different ways of measuring the value of players. And then it left me with this interesting choice of, do I choose to make keeper decisions based on projected value or on ADP value? Right? Because, you know, in, in an auction league, if a guy's value is below what his price is, I'm not going to keep him. Doesn't like that. That's sort of where I am in this situation though. There may be a guy who I'm like, oh, his his value, I think his projections make him a good value in the 18th round, but his ADP is the 22nd round. And in that case, I think I kind of want to let the guy go and maybe try to draft him back, right? Because like clearly I'm going to be a little higher on him than the market. But I, what I ended up with was sort of a, a mix of the two. I was using both the projected value for the players and the market value based on ADP for the players and using both to determine who my nine keepers would be. And that it's a, it was a little bit of a messy way of doing it, but it allowed me to balance things like, I I think Betts is closer to being the fifth most valuable rather than the 13th or whatever it was I said that Steamer had him at. Yeah, 13th. And so I'm going to use his ADP value in sort of determining how much I value him as a keeper, which is why he ends up as a keeper, even though Steamer would tell me I shouldn't even take him with the 10th pick. Because I know that if I wait to take him with the 10th pick, he'll be gone. He'll get paid. You know, in this league, he'd get taken third or fourth after other guys are kept. So that was sort of how I, I was I was messing around with this. And, and it it sounds... I feel like it sounds complex, but it's actually like, it's a relatively straightforward process. If you go to fan graphs and go to the auction calculator, you input the settings for your league. It spits out values. You just pull those into a spreadsheet and rank them from the most expensive to the least expensive. And now you have a value for players as well as a value for every pick in your draft, right? Because the value of a pick varies by draft and by settings. And you know, just an example of that in our head to head league, which is traditional five by five, head to head the first pick is almost $60 the second pick is worth 42 the third is worth 36 in our roto league which is 5 by 5 with obp and innings pitched instead of instead of average and wins the first pick is $68 the second pick is $51 the third is $49 the fourth is $43 like it's a very different set of values in that draft and so I'm going to go through with that league too. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to go through with that league too and go through the same process and use it to sort of rethink who my keepers might be. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, all right. That's a lot to respond to. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start with uh, my thing with, ultimately you hit on what I what I was going to say, which is that you have to use a combination of these. That like there, There's no point in trying to figure out which strategy is the best because none of them are. 
part of the problem is like you may hear the projections break down there and be like, that actually sounds like the best way to decide my keepers, at least the best way to decide value. Um, but my issue with projection systems, and and I don't have like an axe to grind with projection systems. I think they're fine. I think we all naturally project whether we have specific numbers in mind or not, because we value players in one way or another. But projection systems, as they come out, they're often very conservative and they give you one outcome. And that outcome is, in my opinion, it's usually not that likely, especially with the later players, because you'll see players in that ADP range of 200 to 300 and they'll give an extremely like middle ground potential outcome. And you'll be thinking like, all right, well, if this guy plays and gets the plate appearances, it's going to be way better than that. Or the other most likely scenario is he doesn't get the playing time and barely plays and doesn't even come close to that. And so what they're actually giving you is not something that's all that helpful. So you have to take that into account. I think a good comparison would be like if we were to use this Mookie Betts example, right? And the projection system, the steamer projection system that we're using here is telling us that it's he's not a value. He's actually a negative value. He's worth the 13th pick. You're spending the 10th on him. Okay. Well, Mookie Betts is way more likely to meet his projection, though, than, say, Masataka Yoshida, who I'm not even looking at the projections for him. I don't know. But he was he, he's a player we have one year of sample size on. He had an amazing, I I hesitate to say amazing, he had a very successful, though, first half. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, for whatever reason, he had a disastrous second half. Well, the potential range of outcomes on Yoshida is extreme. And if somebody last year in the second half rightfully dropped Yoshida because he naturally has less value in category leagues anyway, and you added him, well, now you could keep Masataki Yoshida for a last round pick. And if we just go by the steamer projection, or if we just, even if we go by ADP, that's going to seem like a slam dunk value over Mookie Betts. But there is no chance in hell I'm keeping that player over Mookie Betts. He just does not have the same likelihood of reaching those outcomes. Now, you could say, well, it's not just Yoshida versus Betts, because it's Yoshida for a last round pick, plus whoever you take in the first versus bets and whoever you take in the last round. Okay, and that's a that's a fair way to look at it. But if you're trying to provide yourself with some sort of safety net with your keepers, some sort of floor with your keepers, then you're keeping the players like Mookie, even if the projection systems say you might be taking a few dollars of a hit or a, f- a few picks of a hit. Now, if we're talking rounds, like if, if you instead had, uh, I don't know, who's a good mid-round pick, let's say Francisco Lindor for a first-round pick. You'd be like, well, Lindor does have a safe floor. He's a good player. He could perform like a first round pick. That's too much for me, though. That that's way too much for me. I'm still not going to do that. I'm not going to use a first round pick because I could just draft him back. But as you pointed out, if you don't keep Mookie, you're not getting him back. You're just not at that at that tenth pick. So now you've got a real decision to make. Do I want the safe floor of having Mookie bets on my roster, setting the beginning of my draft up nice, or? Do I want to take a chance that maybe a player like Yoshida or Ryan Mountcastle or whoever it might be that you added off free agency and can keep for free and looks like this amazing value based on projections or ADP or whatever it might be? Maybe whoever I combine that with in the first round is better. But with a player like Yoshida, you could be the next person to drop him. You could be just like the guy last year who dropped him. And now it's just a straight up Mookie Betts versus whoever you got in the first round. Let's call it Kevin Gosman. And you might just prefer to have the superstar that is Mookie Betts. And let's not forget, not to the point is not Mookie here, 
But if you take out a September in which he hit one home run and batted 244, he was in the MVP talks right there with Ronald Acuna Jr. the entire season. It all just fell apart for one month. And Mookie has the track record to make me feel pretty good about him going forward. So long-winded way of saying, yes, I'm using the 10th pick to keep Mookie over, let's say, some guy who might appear just because the projections say so to be this extreme value later in the draft. It just doesn't make sense to me. With nine keepers, maybe it is okay to take that risk because if you're if if your one through eight keepers are great, you feel good about them. They're all values. Then sure, I mean I'm doing that in both of these leagues. But in a in a vacuum, no, I'm not doing that. I'm keeping Mookie. Yeah, and I think like as a, as a sort of prime example here, as I as I look at this league, so let's let's start with this. I've got. I know we said we talked about who our keepers are. I'm going to quickly go through. I've got a 28th round Tanner Bybee. I'm keeping him. I have a 14th round Zach Gallen. I'm keeping him. And these are what guys that like, it doesn't matter what method I use to value them. They are great values. Uh, a 26th round Andres Jimenez is my third. Kerry Carpenter is an interesting one because he actually looks like a decent value by ADP and a very good value by the projections. And I think he's better than his ADP. I'd be drafting him earlier. So I have a, a 28th round, although he'll end up costing me a 27th. Uh, Kerry Carpenter, Lars Newbar for 23rd is almost for sure on my list. And I'm going to, that's five. And I'm going to table Esteori Ruiz also shows up as a pretty clear cut keeper for me on, on these, these metrics. And so he's on there too, is six. And then I've got a 22nd round Nathaniel Lowe, a first round Mookie Betts, a 25th round Alec Bohm, a 25th round Jimer Candelario, a 24th round Zach Neto, 13th round Tyro Estrada and a 24th round Andrew Abbott. And depending on which method I use, I come up with different groups of those three guys, of, of three of those guys, I should say, that are the keepers, and Betts is not always one of them. And so this is where, for me, like, just to, to look at, like, Betts versus... To look at Betts versus Lowe as an example. Lowe is... Obviously, a bigger gain in terms of rounds moved up because Betts isn't moving up around at all. In terms of that ADP surplus, what they're worth at their ADP, low and Betts are both a $2 value. I, I can I can keep low for a price $2 less than his ADP. I can keep Betts for a price $2 less than his ADP, more or less. On a surplus of their, their projected value, low shows up as a $4 better value than his the pick cost. And Betts is a $3 worse value than the pick cost because of what we were talking about when you were talking about before. But I'm going to keep Betts because I think that his ADP value is closer to how I really value him. And having that elite production at that kind of ADP value is just more valuable to me than what Lowe can do. Now, I may end up keeping both of them. I think, uh, you know, looking at the numbers, Alec Bohm, I, I traded for Alec Bohm very late in this process. He's absolutely one of my keepers. Um, very, very safe, productive player in a position I don't want to have to worry about. I was going to keep Jimer Candelario and Bohm is like, he's going to cost me the same thing. He's a better pick. He's a better ADP. He has better projections. Fine. So that's like seven. Betts is eight. And then I, I think Lowe is going to be number nine for me over Neto, over Estrada, and over Andrew Abbott. So I think what those are my guys. Round is, uh, what round does Josh Lowe cost? Not Josh Lowe, Nathaniel Lowe. 
Oh, okay. Because I was gonna say, I'm like, man, you you got to smash yeah. the key button on Josh Low here. <laughs> no, low, that, that low, I'd be keeping. This is Nathaniel Low, who's like, he's, his it. ADP is like the 22nd round. No, his ADP, sorry, is the 18th round. He was gonna cost me a 22nd. His actual like projected value is more like a 12th round pick, according to Steamer. But I still think given the other options I have here, I let him go. And then maybe I look at him at some point, right? And I, I may end up drafting him. We'll see. He's not actually my favorite. And I think the other thing with, with looking at projections, as you said, is like we all have our own sort of expectations of what projections look like. And I'm not quite as high and low as Steamer is. So we'll see. But yeah, I think th- those are going to be my keepers. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Pete, you can walk us through who you kept and any tough decisions you had. Get started on your resolutions with Factor, so you're ready for the new year. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in this new year. You can skip the grocery stores, the prep work, and cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie-smart, vegan, and veggie options, and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons, you'll have tons of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. Now, Factor offers loads of snack options like breakfast, smoothies, juices, snacks, and more to keep me going no matter what is on the schedule. So head to factormeals.com slash K-O-R-K-50 and use code K-O-R-K-50 to get 50% off. That's code K-O-R-K-50 at factormeals.com slash K-O-R-K-50 to get 50% off or click the link in the show description to help support the show. All right, welcome back. I just sort of listed through my keepers. I'll, I'll rattle those off again really quick because I don't think I, I sort of went in and out of the list. But the list is a 28th round Tanner Bybee, 14th round Zach Allen, 26th round Andre Jimenez, 28th round Kerry Carpenter, 23rd round Lars Nupar, 18th round Esteori Ruiz, 1st round Mookie Betts, 25th round Alec Bohm. Is that only eight? Maybe I am keeping a 22nd round Nathaniel Lowe. Maybe he's my ninth. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, I think he is my ninth over. I think it's low in the 22nd round over Neto or Estrada or Abbott as of right now. Yeah, I'm with. I, so before we get into mine, let's let's do a little breakdown of yours here. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. actually with like all those picks, I think. And, and it's because of the names you listed at the end that you're not keeping. You know, Zach Neto, uh, he got off to a little bit of a rust off. There's all that hype because the Angels rushed their guys so much. And he actually ended I really up, like I Neto. thought, I do too. I do too. And, and I'm stuck on a $4 Neto in Otnu. And I'm thinking, thinking I, I got to hold on to him, even though I have 645 shortstops. But um, I, I'm fine leaving him off. And I'm fine leaving Abbott off because I look, I get it. There, there is upside there, but man, he got figured out And that home ballpark just sucks. And so like a pitcher sophomore, like I'm good. I'm out on that. And then that leaves Tyro Estrada. And I think the only player I would consider switching out from the other ones that you named for Estrada would be Estuary Ruiz, who is so one dimensional, but we're in this weird transitional phase where like, 
more and more player, players are stealing more and more bases, and yet Estuary Ruiz still is a standout in that category. Yeah. I think if it was, I think if it was Roto, I would keep Ruiz. I think with it being head to head with the extra position of middle infield, I I might lean Estrada, but I totally understand keeping Ruiz. And you're right, he is a runaway value at that price. So, a couple a couple things on that. One, I'm keeping Andreas Jimenez and Mookie Betts. That's my starting middle infield because Betts is. A shortstop. I, in this you sport. might find yourself starting Mookie in the outfield by the end I'm, of the year. I might, <laughs> and I'll have the flexibility. To, I'll have the flexibility to make that decision. It is a five but, outfield league, just so folks know. Yeah, but I'm also keeping Carpenter, Newt Bar, and uh, and Ruiz most likely. So I've got three outfielders and a starting middle infield with one of my infielders being able to flex. The interesting thing is what I actually like about Ruiz is. He allows me to draft a team without spending a lot of thought on stolen bases, but know that any week where stolen bases are competitive and I want to win them in a head-to-head league, I can just put them in the lineup. Yeah. Right? And it's not a guarantee that I'm going to win, but I do think like he was the only player who stole, stole more than one stolen base every other game on average. Right? So his his stolen bases per game was more than half. There's also been some talk that he's been working on getting into more power with his swing. And he hit like, I think it's like three of his five or four of his five home runs or something like that. were in September. I, I, I am not, let me see if I can look this up. Cause I was talking to Matt Heckman, who's been on the show and is in this league about Ruiz and he had three of his five home runs in September. And so like, there's a little bit there. It's like maybe instead of going 70 and five next year, 70 stolen bases, five home runs, he goes 70 and 10. It's not a huge difference, but it's meaningful. And he also, in, in that September, had a 130 WRC plus. Now, I am not, I don't think he is a 130 WRC plus hitter, but he stole all those bases despite being out of the lineup a decent chunk of the time because he doesn't really hit, but he hit really well down the stretch. He doesn't have to be a great hitter. He doesn't even have to be necessarily a good hitter to stay in the lineup every day. And if he's good enough to stay in the lineup every day and hits a little bit better than he did overall last year, a little bit closer to what he did at the end of the season, he's going to be on base more and he's going to be a threat to steal a lot more bases and score more runs and things like, so there, there is some upside above and beyond what he's shown. And I think that to me is the biggest difference between him and Estrada. Estrada is safer. Estrada is more boring. He does fit middle infield, which would be helpful, and Ruiz doesn't. But he he lacks upside, and in this context, he's five rounds more expensive. Now, his ADP is one or two, two one round worse. So he'd cost me five rounds more, and his ADP is not as good as Ruiz's. Now, that's partially because this ADP is mostly roto data instead of head to head. Things are a little different here, but I think in this context, Ruiz serves an important purpose for me. And the ability to then go out and build my roster around the flexibility with bets and with Ruiz being a guy who could be in my lineup or out of my lineup, depending on the week. I really like that. So we'll see how it comes together. There's a chance I'll really regret keeping him, but I don't think so. I, I don't th- not when the alternative is Tyro Estrada. Like yeah. there can only be so much regret. Like, you know what? If Ruiz is hitting 130 by the end of May, and he's not on your roster anymore. Right. You're not going to look at the guy rostering Tyro Estrada and be like, oh, what could have been? So right. I, I like taking the upside swing for, for a later keeper there. 
Yeah. So let's go through your keepers now. And have you, do you said you, you, as far as you're concerned, you thought this was like all done, ready to go. So your, your keepers are <laughs> locked and loaded, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I thought I was at noon time. Honestly, ever since I traded away Hunter green, my keepers have been locked and loaded because I had a very obvious, like 10 candidates and Hunter green was wow. one of them. And I traded away Hunter green. So then I ended up with my nine. Um, so my keepers, uh, I can run through them. I'll go by like the last value and then the earliest. Uh, so Cole Reagans, I have, I picked him up last year, so he is free. He's a, well, not free, but he's a 28th <laughs> round pick, which is the last pick of our, uh, non prospect draft. And then I'm going to keep Volpe, Anthony Volpe, Volpe, Anthony Volpe for a 27th. I'll be keeping Andres Munoz for a 26th. I love that one. A uh, little Red Sox action, Jaron Duran for a 25th. Uh, then I've got Grayson Rodriguez for a 19th, which I love. Uh, Royce Lewis for an 18th. Uh, I'm actually getting these wrong. So I have those first four correct. Grayson Rodriguez, or no, that is correct. Grayson Rodriguez, 19th. Royce Lewis, 18th. Sonny Gray, who looked awesome. I, I actually don't feel great about this, but it's for a 17th round pick. So I do feel great about that. Tyler Glass now for a 16th and O'Neill Cruz for a 12th is my earliest kept player. So I could have had Hunter Green for uh, a 25th. I traded him away for a pick that is probably going to be irrelevant, but um, ended up with those guys. And it's worth mentioning in my minors, uh, I have, I'm going to be keeping Tamar Johnson, which whatever. Um, and then Gavin Williams and Pete Crow Armstrong, who will both probably be immediately promoted. Um, maybe not Pete Crow Armstrong, but certainly Gavin Williams. So I'm keeping a ton of pitchers, which I feel good about. I like all these pitchers. My hitting, though, I'm going to have to address with uh, Volpe at shortstop, Cruz at you know middle infield, and uh, Jaron Duran in the outfield, Royce Lewis at third base. Just four of my nine keepers are bats. So looking at the, the rest of your possible options here, you have a bunch of guys I, I like. Not necessarily that they have to be keepers, but guys I, I do like, I am interested in, like, I've I always like Ryan Mountcastle as as you know unimpressive as last year was I'm I'm still in on him Lamont Wade Jr. is is a good hitter and it's not an OBP league so that hurts him a little bit but still Mitch Garver and Cal Raleigh are both excellent options at catcher but as we you and I have talked about catcher is deep and so waiting on catcher like I totally get that I think the name that stands out to me is like a huh I sort of thought he'd be on your list and I'm curious if you thought about him and if so how you know how you landed on him being off the list is jake berger jake berger sure uh, i thought you were gonna say max muncie to be honest with you um <laughs> uh, yeah i mean I, I when i consider berger and when i consider um muncie i i could see how i guess it's more of a conversation um it is only a single catcher league i would have loved mitch garver at a 28th round pick um i don't know i just i i already had royce lewis in the fold and when i look at my nine names that I have here. I really want to keep them uh, ahead of Jake Berger. Like Jake Berger is going ahead of Jaron Duran in drafts substantially. I would assume I'm not hundred percent sure. And yet I'm keeping Jaron Duran and they could be worth the same thing. Uh, that's to give me a little bit of a floor in stolen bases, which I don't care as much about in head to head admittedly, but I do have that concern about outfield. Um, so it, it I guess Jaren this is Duran a pretty good is going two picks after Jake Berger. Or no, uh, 13 picks after Jake Berger. He's going two picks after Muncie. They're all going in a chunk okay. between like 159 and 172. 
Bob Duran's going that high, huh? Yeah, one set at least according to what I'm looking at, I can double check that. Wow. Okay, no, that I mean, I, I guess again, it's the premium on stolen bases. Um, I haven't. It's not something I've emphasized in the past in um, head-to-head categories leagues. I still don't think I need to, but I. I'm excited about Duran. I don't know if it's bias or what it is. When he was healthy last year, the dude was hitting. He was stealing bases. So it's nothing against Jake Berger. It was just a case of the other nine guys. I, I like their values more. Yeah, that's interesting. It makes me want to now look at Berger and determine whether or not I should be trying to get him from you in a trade. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I don't think... Go I, well, and it's interesting. It's like I just made that trade to go from Candelario to Bohm. And so I'm wondering, like, oh, is there an upgrade from Bohm to Burger? But I don't know. Anytime you can get a burger, it's an upgrade, man. That's that is true. That is true. I do like a good burger. But uh, so yeah, big, con- it's a big consideration for my my team when when deciding these keepers as well. Is I have a ridiculous amount of draft picks. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the trades, but I have I personally will draft five times in round eight. Um, and I also have the first pick of round nine. So between picks 91 and 97, uh, I have picked, I'll just name them. I, I pick 90, 91, 92, 95, 96, 97. So I felt like I, I in a situation like that, I can take more swings, you know, for upside. Yeah, to say the least, goodness. And I also have two picks in the top five. And that includes the first overall pick. So uh, everybody, just so you know, as long as he's healthy, you know, knock on wood, I will have Robert Acuna Jr. That that uh, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., not Robert. I don't want Robert <laughs> Acuna Jr. We'll have Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, and whoever comes to me at five, whether that's Tatis Jr., Aaron Judge, whoever, I don't even know how committed I am to any of those right now. I'll have them as well. So my team has a safer floor than it sounds. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good place to be getting those two early picks that's uh and those you know just as just give some context like those picks in the 90s are all like 13 ish dollar values um so that's a you know the, having that pick instead of like a zero dollar pick in the 28th round is a, is a pretty significant upgrade in value which i think gets us about to where we want to talk about some of the trades we've made but Before we do that, let's take one more quick break, and then we'll come back and talk through those trades. All right, welcome back. Uh, We are getting through keepers, and it has been busy, busy action on the trade block in League 2 in the head-to-head league. And so, I mean, man, there's a lot of trades. So I'm just going to go sort of, see, maybe I'll go back to the beginning of the offseason and I'm only going to look at the trades that that you and I made so we can talk through sort of our rationale for them. Um, and the first trade that either one of us made was I traded away Nick Lodolo and a 19th round pick for Kyle Harrison and a 21st round pick. Now, Lodolo, I, I'm, at first glance, this is like, it, it sounds like, why would I have to give a pick upgrade to go from Lodolo to Harrison. Um, the The reality is that Harrison here, it's, it's a value play. Harrison is in a minor spot. And so I can stash him through and basically turn him into a 10th keeper or stash him through the beginning of the season and wait to decide if and when I want to call him up. Lodolo was going to only cost a 28th round pick. 
but he, I don't know. I, I, I totally get the upside and the talent and the ability that he has, but it's been a little ugly. And I think there could be some growing pains and, you know, his ADP is like 240 something. So he's like a 20th round ADP. And it just felt like Harrison was an opportunity to decrease the cost, give myself a little extra space. And it was worth a small drop in, in draft value. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally fine with that trade. I, the draft value thing, honestly, most of our 21st and 19th and 20th round picks, most of them are going to be dropped before the end of the season. So yeah. uh, I'm not saying it's worthless. It's, I, I traded Hunter Green straight up for like some god-awful pick. I, I don't know. You're welcome, Matt Hackman. Um, so I'm not saying those picks are completely irrelevant, but going from a player who has shown some serious bumps and pitches in a terrible ballpark to a player of very similar upside, probably more strikeout upside, although I don't want to underplay the strikeout upside of uh, Nick Lodolo in a much better park. I'm fine with with that move. I don't see anything wrong with that. It's definitely more value. Yeah, and just to give an example, I mean, the reality is that Lodolo is, like I said, he's going around around the 20th round. Harrison's only going like 25 picks later. So, yeah. and the fact that he becomes now a bonus keeper for me, right? So instead of like, instead of having Lodolo, I now can stash Harrison and keep Bohm, or if I trade for Berger or Nathaniel Lowe, who like those guys may not be exciting, but it's still an extra guy I get to hold on to that's a good value. Um, so I felt pretty good about that one. The next trade that either of us was involved in was also a trade I made. Um, I, this was where I picked up Kerry Carpenter from Matt Heckman. And I I swapped the third pick in the 10th round for, sorry, the 10th pick in the third round. I said that backwards. The 10th pick in the third round for the fifth pick in the fourth round. So from the third to the fourth round, I dropped a total of seven picks to pick up Kerry Carpenter. Uh, Carpenter is a keep for me. Like I said before, I am higher on Carpenter than, uh, than most people are. Now that pick drop that, that, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot. It's only seven picks, but the, the 10th pick of the third round is pick 33, 34. It's pick 34. So I'm going from pick 34 to pick 41. That drop off in value is about two and a half dollars ish of value. It's a pretty significant drop in value. However, I have Carpenter as more valuable than that, right? Enough more valuable that it was like, this is fine. I get it. No problem. Um, Carpenter is also, the other thing to note is that there's like, this is a little weird because the way that these values work out, a guy like Carpenter who cost me a last round pick, that draft pick actually has negative value. And so uh, he's he is more valuable than even that $2.50 increase that I that I had to pay in the draft. Um, would I have rather done a $2 increase in draft value by going from like the 19th round, like giving up a 16th round pick for a 19th round pick or something like that, like drop like three rounds, but later, I probably would have preferred that. But in this case, seven picks difference. I, I honestly, I looked at it and I was like, there is a reasonable chance that I'm going to be deciding between two to three guys at 10, 3.10. And one of them will still be there at 4.5. And if not, they're not. So that's what I went with. 
again, I feel pretty good about that. Just a way to pick up an extra keeper. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's an outfielder, first of all, which I like. Carry uh, Carpenter, 20 homers, and he chipped in six steals. He's not a nothing in speed in just 459 plate appearances. So even if he paces out not quite that well, we're still talking about like a 25 homer and up outfielder with some speed that you're keeping essentially for free. So if all I have to do to get that player is go back seven picks, I'm doing that. You know, I like Carrie Carpenter. I was trying to get him off you in the podcasters league. We still came together for a deal. So, uh, you know, the hosts of Keeper Cut have have traded, um, but it did not involve Carrie Carpenter, much to my dismay. But knowing how much you you like him, I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I like this deal. It was a good one. Yeah. So now we get to the first deal that you made this offseason in this league. And this is a it's a big one. Um, and every time I look at this trade, I'm like, man, you gave up some guys I really like. And then I'm like, oh, right one of the things you got back was the fifth pick in the first round. <laughs> so you got the fifth pick of the first round, the eighth pick of the eighth round and the eighth pick of the 14th round. You gave up Kyle Bradish, Brian Bayo, Shane Boz and Kyle Manzardo. Mm. Um, talk to me about this one. How'd this come together? Yeah. So I have a uh, clear plethora of pitcher keepers. And this manager approached me. He he is new to the league, I believe. I'm so sorry if that's not true. I believe he he is new to the league and wanted to start making kind of the team his own. He wasn't enamored with the keeper situation. Um, and so he was looking to acquire some cheap keepers. And uh, we were kicking some deals back and forth. And uh, he, he we ultimately landed on this one. I asked him to switch out my Gavin Williams for Kyle Bradish. And I, I might... I could see myself regretting that one in the end. Um, this was a little over a month ago, I think. So uh, it's not like anything has really changed since I asked him to do that. The main reason I asked him to do that is number one, I think Gavin Williams is going to be a stud. I love Gavin Williams. I'm not really, you know, cooling on this trade. But also, Gavin is in my prospects, my farm system. So I actually get to keep him for free. I don't, I don't pay anything to keep him. I can promote him after the draft. I can still keep nine other players. So that was a, a big component for me. I, I just think Bradish is awesome. And he is—he was a free agent ad, so he's a, he's worth a 28th round pick. There's immense value there. I'm fine giving up Bayo. Manzardo hurt because he was another guy who's in my farm system. I think he's going to be up, I, and he's been great. Um, I, I I don't want to say something that's incorrect. I want to say he was playing in the Arizona Fall League and he was performing pretty well. He was dominating um, it, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I wasn't sure. I, I, that is something that is beyond my... Uh, my studies, but um, as a, as a it, Cleveland fan, he and Chase DeLauder were just tearing up the the AFL. Good. And so there was a, a lot of talk about that in Cleveland circles. <laughs> Must be nice. Um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, Shane Boz, obviously that one hurts. I'm a huge Shane Boz fan. We just talk about stuff plus Bradish and Boz. That's a lot of stuff plus to give up. But I'm, I'm trying to view it as like, I still get to keep nine players. I still like all of my keepers. I still have Gavin Williams in my farm system. And now I have, I don't know, Aaron Judge, Fernando Tatis Jr., just to use the examples I've used in the past, um, in addition to the first pick in the draft. So for me, it was a no-brainer. For him, it seemed like it was definitely a no-brainer. He needed to get more keepers. Um, and he has some tremendous values now, even if he doesn't keep Bayo. And by the way, if he keeps Bayo, it is still at a value as well because he is also a free agent pickup. Um, so that's essentially how it went down. I was happy. I now have all those picks in the eighth round, baby. This is why it's so important not to go down a, a new road here. You know, I want to give you a chance to respond to the trade, but man, when I realized I was out of contention last season, I was hustling, 
hustling to acquire picks for anything that I could get. And I have so many draft picks now that like, I, first of all, I better not mess them up. That's a great spot to be in, but it's, it's so important. I, I'm preaching to the choir. If you're listening to this podcast, you already do this. And, and certainly this league is tremendous. Everybody's super, super active, but man, if you're, even if you're out of it, you're never out of it in keeper league. It just means you're now in it for 2024 as opposed to 2023. And that's how I was approaching it. And so I'm, I'm in a pretty good, pretty good spot. Yeah, I, mean, I think your breakdown of this is fine. The one thing I would note is Bayo is a is a twenty second round keeper cost. You picked him up in the twenty third round last oh, year. Oh, um, I just assumed he was a free agent. No, and so he's a little Still good value. Yes, but not as good. It's sort of borderline value, I think. Um, Bradish with inflation. Bradish and Boz are the two I look at keeper. Yeah, Bradish and Boz are the two I look at. Menzardo as well, especially because he's in the minors. I'm just like that is a lot to give up. Uh, for the fifth pick overall, let alone the fact that you got a couple of eighth round picks, like this is an easy trade for you to make. Like this is a f- the fifth overall pick itself is just so valuable that those guys, yeah, I, I love this trade for you. I'll take it. You're, you're you're kind of breaking up right now, but I I think I heard you say you love this trade for me, so I feel good about that. Oh, I do. Okay, good. Well, you should because that's what I said. <laughs> the next trade that either of okay. us was involved <laughs> in was oh right. You guys, you and Matt Hackman screwed things up. And so it's technically two trades. You traded him Hunter Green for nothing. And then he traded you a 21st round pick for nothing. But I I think what that really was, was Hunter Green (laughs) for a 21st round pick. Correct? Yes. Yes. That was what that trade was supposed to be. I do apologize if I scared people. I got multiple messages. I think one of them was from you. And I think another one was just in the general discord of like, are we giving away players for free? No, that's that's not. I would never help out Matt Hackman like that. I still feel like I helped him out here. Not intentionally. I, I, at this point, I'm just looking to get picks as much as as much upside as we all look at Hunter Green. And we say, like, wow, that's a lot of upside there. There weren't a lot of people banging down my door to offer me better picks for Hunter Green because he was trash for a decent portion of la- portion of last season. So um, I looked at this as, all right, Hunter Green's probably my odd man out. I have a ton of pitcher keepers. I want to get something back. I have to be realistic about what my expectations are in return. So even though I'm giving him a value, I am getting an extra pick to fill up my roster. Um, is that player going to be dropped by the end of the first week? Potentially, um, but at least there's an extra pick. Yeah, and I mean, I, you and I sort of did the opposite things here where you made that deal with Heckman. And then not long after that, he traded Alec Bohm to me. And in that Bohm trade, I moved down three picks in the 14th round from pick five to pick eight. And I moved down seven picks from the 10th pick of the 17th round to the fifth pick of the 18th round. That's effectively nothing like three picks in the 14th round, seven picks in the 17th, 18th round. Like I just, I just don't, care that much by those points in the draft i'm drafting my guys i'm not drafting my adp anyways and so the chances of matt or any of the other people in between us just grabbing the guy i had to have or whatever just it's just so slim and so even though like i could have just i could have kept those picks and just kept jammer candelario i like bone better and so i made that move Uh, i probably can't make that move if you don't give him Hunter Green for a late pick. So thank you for for making that work. You're welcome. For me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's it. That's those are all the trades that have been made. We have we still have about four hours until the deadline. So theoretically, more trades could happen. Maybe I'll reach out to you about Jake Berger, who you're not keeping. We'll see. 
But yeah, just make sure you I, message I feel... me because Fantrax has uh, not been great about the notifications. Yeah, sort of hit or miss. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I think right now I feel pretty good about where I am. I, I'm not. I felt okay about this team until I started looking at my Roto team and realized how much better that is. Because like this team, I'm keeping <laughs> bets. Obviously, like is a legit stud. Uh, Gallon is one of the best pitchers in the game. I am not keeping anybody else with a top 180 P everyone else I'm keeping is lower than that. Now they are still good values, stuff like that. But like I have to build the top end of this team and that can be hard with all the inflation I expect to see in the front end of this draft in the other league. I am keeping, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five, at least five top 100 players and another two that are like in the top 125 by ADP. <laughs> it's like a really, really different structure of my team. Even though in both cases, I'm mostly keeping values. I'm mostly giving up late round picks and, and keeping guys who are near the top in that case. So it's going to be interesting. Like that, that Roto team should be pretty good because I'm, I've got really good values to keep and then I should be able to build on top of that. The head to head team is going to, it's going to take some work, I think. It's funny how opposite we are. I mean, I should end up okay in the Roto League. I really wanted to win that last year. I had freaking Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna Jr., but my pitching just every swing I took when it came to pitchers missed. But we're opposites because I feel fantastic about the head-to-head league. My keepers are not high-end themselves, um, but I I feel like I'm in a good position. In the Roto League, my keepers were just... I mean, I'm still keeping Chaz McCormick. <laughs> like that should be like right. a rule of thumb, man. If you're keeping Chaz McCormick, you're you're kind of in a tough spot. No disrespect to the amazing season that Chaz McCormick had last year. So I I ended up selling my soul essentially uh, to bring in Corbin Carroll. Um, so if you're wondering what would a Corbin Carroll who costs a 25th round pick to keep cost, like what could that possibly cost? to acquire. Well, I also got a Pete Fairbanks who cost a 28th round pick and that that's not worth sneezing at. I mean, that's substantial value. Um, but it cost me a, uh, last round Evan Carter, who I added off free agency last year. It cost me a 26th, 25th round George Kirby. Ouch. It cost me a fourth round pick and it cost me a, I think 11th round pick. So, um, 10th. Sure. Let's make it worse. Uh, so I really, really had to pay up, but I wanted to get the elite keeper and Corbin Carroll to uh, start raising the floor of my keeper situation. Um, my keepers, since we, we ran through them as of right now, uh, Francisco Alvarez, who I think is a 14th. Um, I've got Chaz McCormick still, who is going to be somewhere at the end. Um, Camille Duvall, Devin Williams and Pete Fairbanks all at values. The value on Devin Williams and Pete Fairbanks is really high. Camilo Duvall is a 10th round pick, so it's not amazing value, but for right now, he's a keeper. Um, Corbin Carroll, who is now, I should just name my team Corbin Carroll. Jorge Soler, who's a 22nd, I want to say. And then O'Neill Cruz, who right now I'm keeping, but I might decide to opt against that. He's worth, I think, an eighth round pick. I'm sorry, I should have those up in front of me. I just, I do not. Um, so it, it's okay. It's not great. It's a lot of outfielders. It's a lot of closers. Um, I have my work cut out for me in the draft, and now I'm without a fourth round pick. So I'm in a tough spot in the Roto League, uh, but uh, we'll see. I got Corbin Carroll now, man. So I'll look forward to that for the next decade. 
that that is a a really really nice place to be having Carol forever. So uh, I don't feel too <laughs> bad true. for you about being in your tough spot. I, I also <laughs> I feel <better> now. <laughs> made I also made a trade in this league. Um, actually, I, think I made two. So very quickly. Uh, somebody offered me a fifth round pick for Framber Valdez. Valdez would have cost a ninth or a tenth, a ninth or a tenth to keep. There's good value there, but I was like, eh, for a fifth round pick, I have more keepers than oh, I want here. Easy. Done. Yeah. Easy choice. No made that move. Um, the other trade I made is still going through. It hasn't processed yet. Uh, this is an interesting one. I traded away Anthony Santander and Tanner Scott. Scott was like a last round pick and Santander is like a 23rd cost or something. I get traded away those two and a 23rd round pick for Jesus Lazardo and an 11th round pick. Lazardo is going to cost me like a 19th. Those methods of valuing picks and stuff I talked about before would tell me that I gave up a little too much here to get Lazardo, but I think the future value versus... You know, the iffiness of Scott, like his value, part of the reason his value is high is because he's sort of being valued as like the closer. And I'm not sure he is the closer. Uh, and if he is, he may not be for long, right? This may be a one year thing. We don't know. Uh, Santander as well. It's just like he's valuable right now. How much longer he's valuable as his draft cost goes up from a keeper perspective. I, I don't know. We'll see. Lizardo, like if he has another great year, he's going to lock himself in as an early pick and I'll be keeping him for a few more years. And so I, I felt pretty good about that. Having done all of that, it leaves me in a position where my keepers are, let's see, Michael Harris, who I have for a 26th round pick. He is, he's as close as I get to Corbin Carroll. He's not, you, Corbin Carroll is good. cheaper and better, but it's pretty good. Uh, Tyler Glass now for a 20th round pick. Tanner Bybee for a 28th round pick. Jesus Lazardo for a 19th round pick. Now I lost count. I don't actually know what to do. Harris Glass now. Bybee Lazardo. Andre Semenes for a 25th round pick again. And then I get some, some difficult choices. I, I think Brian Hayes for a 28th is going to be one of the keepers. I think Spencer Steer for an 18th is probably one of them. David Bednar for a 14th. I am debating. Uh, Bo Naylor for a 28th and William Contreras for a 10th are both pretty good values. And I don't, we, this is a one catcher league. The other league is a two catcher league. I think I'll probably keep Naylor, but I'm yeah. also going to shop those guys. We have a couple more weeks and we'll see what happens. I lost count of who else I was keeping. Who else do I have here? I have Paul Seawald, but he's like an eighth round pick. And I don't think I'm going to do that. I've got Lars Nupar for a 23rd round pick, which is okay. Not, not a bad option. I have a 24th round Ezekiel Tovar, who is, not quite worth that, but I really like the future on that kid. And so I'm sort of, I don't know, I, I'm debating stuff. But Harris, Glasnow, Bybee, Lazardo, Jimenez, Bednar, and Cabrian are a group that I am, uh, I'm excited about. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty good spot to be in. And, uh, you know, I, I don't mind keeping closers in this format. Uh, you mentioned yeah. a closer, right? Who was it? Bednar. Yeah, I, I I don't I think there was even another one if I remember correctly, but I, I don't. See, really... I, I have Bednar for a fourteenth, and I have Seawald for an eighth. Oh, he's an eighth. Okay, yeah, I wouldn't keep him either. But I right. I last <laughs> year I kept a couple closers, and I'm keeping them again. So in rotisserie, I think it's a little bit different. I value steals more. I value saves more. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I do think three is overkill. One third of my keepers are closers. That's not okay. So if you're listening, send offers for Duvall, Fairbanks, or Devin Williams. 
we may we may have a fit there. There may be something worth talking about because I think I like I, I think Seawald is just too expensive, and yeah, I already traded sure. away Tanner Scott, who would have been a twenty eighth round pick and would have been a. Although I'm keeping a bunch of twenty eighth round guys, so he would have ended up like by getting rid of him, still I get to keep like a twenty fifth round pick or twenty fourth round pick or something. But he still would have been good value there, but not as good. Again, it, that was about Lazardo. So. Things are still sort of early in that league. Um, it's been a little bit slower to get going, and so there hasn't been as much action. We still have a couple of weeks before the keeper deadline, so we'll, we'll see what happens in that one. Um, and we'll probably be ready in a couple of weeks to talk in more detail about other trades that happened there and how, where things landed. But anything else to say before we, we wrap up for the day? No, I, uh, I I think this was a good flush out conversation of these two leagues. But I think even though it was about two specific leagues that you may not be in, you listeners, I, all of these rules still apply. The breakdown of how to evaluate your keepers, you know, how do you decide between, wow, Ronald Acuna Jr. just had this amazing season last year. Do I keep him for a first round pick? Yes, if it's him, but maybe not every single first rounder. Uh, you need to keep just because they had a great season. You might be able to get them back. It's the, it's the constant debates that. Uh, we have internally when this time of the year comes deciding keepers and uh, go for the value and be paying attention to how many picks you have and, and hope for the best. Yeah. And I think to that, that Acuna point, like remember that when you're measuring value, moving up a few picks in the first round has a lot of value, right? Like it has as much value as moving up a couple of rounds or even more than a couple rounds later in the draft. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you could give up your last pick in the first round, like if you're picking 12th and you can keep Acuna for that 12th pick, you literally won't have a better keeper than that. That'll be it. That's the best keeper you're going to have. You're, you could have a, a 28th round guy who's a third round value and like Acuna will be worth that. So, you know, don't just think like, oh, how many rounds am I moving up? How many picks am I moving up? It's about how much value you're moving up. And earlier in the draft, moving up a few picks can really matter. So keep that in mind. We didn't talk a lot about inflation here. We mentioned it sort of in passing, but it is worth noting that like, you know, a guy with an ADP of 36 is not necessarily going to go at the, he isn't going to go at the end of the third round in the keeper league. He's going to go in the second round probably. So be aware of that. Um, you know, the first few rounds of guys like they're going to move up a little bit the middle chunk are going to move up the most and then it's going to sort of level off but you are going to see some inflation and so that does change things like we talked about a little bit with Estrada right I'd only be moving up one round with Estrada if I want to draft Estrada after letting him go I probably have to pick him three rounds earlier than that right so that's just another that thing can, to keep uh... mind. that can catch up real fast folks I mean yeah. these leagues that we're talking about there's you don't have to keep nine. If everybody kept nine, it'd be over a hundred. Let's say there's about a hundred keepers. That's a lot taken out of the draft. Like do not underestimate like a, a traditional. I have two picks in the first, I have two of the first five picks. It's not as good as it sounds. It's very good. I'll get Acuna cause he, he has to be dropped, but that fifth pick is not going to be Julio Rodriguez or Corbin Carroll. It's going to be somebody a, a half tier or full tier lower than that because of inflation. And it only gets worse as the draft goes on. Like you said, yeah, and if you consider the fact that like the vast majority of keepers, if you know, probably all of them are going to be guys who would have gone in the first twenty rounds, right? Like there may be some guys who would have gone like twenty third, twenty fourth round, who were twenty eighth round value, and people kept them. But in general, it's be guys who would have gone in the first twenty rounds. That means that by the time you pick a guy in the twentieth round, twenty first round, twenty second round, their ADP will be something like nine rounds earlier sorry nine rounds 
wait, I'm, 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 I'm confused. Nine's a lot here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the time, actually, it's not really, by the time you get to the 20th round, you'll have caught up is what will happen. At some point in the middle there, you'll be looking at guys who are five, six rounds earlier in some cases than you would have expected. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to say, right? Like if, if out of the first hundred guys who would have been drafted, there's 50 or 60 who get kept, which is entirely possible in this structure, then your 10th round pick is all of a sudden a guy who would have gone a lot later otherwise, right? So be prepared for that. It really does make a big difference. It, it impacts the value of those draft picks. Um, and so when you're trading for draft picks, keep in mind that like that eighth round pick isn't going to be quite as good as you hoped it would be when you traded for it because a bunch of the guys you might have taken there will already be gone. So just a thing to keep and in I, mind. I, I don't mean to pile on here and extend this any further than it needs to go, but this is why you need to pay attention to positions as well when you pick your keepers because the shape of the body of players that is kept, that could be people really prioritizing positions. Like I'm prioritizing high-end starting pitching and outfield. And so if other people are doing that, you might think like, all right, I'm I'm in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I know inflation is going to hit me a little hard, but all I have to do is draft my third, fourth, and fifth outfielders. Well, you better get on that pretty quickly because those third, fourth, and fifth outfielders may be awful by the ninth round. Um, So it it, it is keeper. This is why we love keeper leagues, man. This is why we started the show. This is, uh, this is where fantasy baseball can get a little chaotic. Yeah. And by the time we, we do our next episode, we'll have done either most or all of the draft for this league. And so we can use that as an opportunity to look at that draft and talk a little bit more, give some specific examples of like, I took this guy in the fifth round who I thought was like a ninth round value. and But like, that's where he came up or talk about how the shape of things changed, right? I really wanted to get three outfielders early, but like there were just none left. And so I didn't like, we'll, we'll be able to give some, some real examples of how that played out, what it felt like, uh, That'll be a perfect, perfect topic for for next time. So for now, enjoy your offseason. Go go make some trades in your Keeper Leagues and Dynasty Leagues. Let us know about them. Hit us up on Twitter at Keep or Cut, Cut with a K. If you make trades, let us know what they are. I love looking at anybody's trades. So hit us up, and uh, we'll be back with you in two weeks.